Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live, 101.3 KPCG. Online at kpcg.fm as well. Live link at thetrumpet.com. Coming up on this weekend edition, a look at some headlines. Pretty interesting news out there. Also, uh, preview the trumpet.com and the Trumpet Daily Radio Show, as well as a brand new Key of David program. And also, what do kids want to be when they grow up? There's lots of different uh, thoughts and ideas out there. We're going to take a look at things young men really need to focus on as they're preparing for a successful life and career. That and more this edition of Trumpet Radio Live. This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live, 101.3 KPCG. We are online also at kpcg.fm. We have a live link at thetrumpet.com. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at kpcgfm. Dwight Falk, Grant Turgeon here with you today. Speaking of Twitter, I found this funny. Kentucky Fried Chicken, KFC, they, um, you know, big companies, they'll have people follow them, but they don't usually follow a lot of other people. KFC doesn't. They only follow 11 people on Twitter. The number of Twitter users that KFC follows to represent the 11 herbs and spices of its chicken, <laughs> including six men named Herb and five former Spice Girls. No way. <laughs> so Twitter, you know, you got to, I don't know, they're using Twitter to, to help promote their chicken, but we don't do that. But you can follow us on Twitter at KPCGF. <laughs> We don't we don't have any real rhyme or reason, I guess, to who do we follow. We follow other broadcasts on the on the station, I guess. That is an absolutely brilliant way to promote your social media page. <laughs> to do something like that where it just has so much meaning to it, so much depth and prior thought. I could just imagine all their tweets being similarly brilliant. I have to go check now. I must admit I I do find their commercials to be hilarious and um <laughs> I haven't eaten there in a long time. I don't know that I want to necessarily, but I do enjoy their uh, entertaining commercials. If you'd like to uh, send us any comments, you can send those to comments at kpcg.fm. We appreciate that. We have a comment that came in from a listener, one of our uh, avid listeners. He says, I just noticed Juneteenth for the first time ever on my 2018 iPhone calendar under U.S. holidays. Not sure if other TRL listeners have heard of it. I had not, so he sent a link for it. This is actual holiday, I guess. Juneteenth, also known as Juneteenth Independence Day or Freedom Day, is an American holiday that commemorates the June 19, 1865 announcement of the abolition of slavery in the U.S. state of Texas and, more generally, the emancipation of enslaved African Americans throughout the former Confederacy of the southern United States. Celebrated on June 19th, the word... Uh, is a combination of June and 19th, hence Juneteenth, recognizes a state holiday or special day of observance in 45 states. I didn't, I didn't know anything about it. This is news to me, but anyway, if you check out your iPhone calendar and you see Juneteenth, that's what that is. So they put that in there automatically now, just along with all the rest? I guess so. They should put all the holidays in there. I want to see 
thousands of them on the calendar. Well, every single day is a day, <laughs> exactly. isn't it? It's, you know, like there'll be a day that's M&M day or mm-hmm. a day that's, I mean, the candy, not the uh, <laughs> musical artist. <laughs> but uh, every day seems to be something. So anyway, I thought that was interesting and I appreciate that uh, comment sent in. Uh, you can, again, send comments to uh, comments at kpcg.fm if you have something to send along. Uh, this weekend, if you're on the uh, West Coast, you may have a lot of wind. Huge storm there, uh, just pounding the West Coast area. Series of storms have lined up to bring rain, snow, wind, and more waves to the West Coast over the weekend. They have waves of 20 to 40 feet pounding the Pacific Northwest Coast from Washington to Oregon, producing flooding and damage to coastal cities. So it's pretty, pretty severe. At least one man was swept to sea in Depot Bay, Oregon. I've been to Depot Bay, Oregon. Really? Yeah, I have. <laughs> Mr. Armstrong wrote about that in his mm-hmm. autobiography. Mm-hmm. So that was a beautiful spot. Wow, you'd have to be. The day I went there, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. Uh, he's presumed dead, unfortunately. Mm. Um, there are 17 western states under snow, wind, and high surf alerts for the storm. So all up and down the coast there, and then even getting into uh, some of the neighboring states as well. So be careful. Wow. You get swept out to sea. Boy, nobody wants that. Yeah, I wonder what's even causing that if it's like a hurricane or some sort of some sort of horrible storm coming toward the west coast it's just kind of kind of odd that it's uh it's hitting like that and especially all the days that you go to the beach and it's totally still and then to think of a 40 foot wave yeah that that is just incredible you have to pay attention to the warnings because otherwise you know especially if you like you say you go there all the time you think i'll just go down to the beach no big deal and all of a sudden you you might get caught up in something so anyway keep an eye out if you're out there uh of course one of the big topics in the news is the immigration how they're going to try to solve all that uh and that there are these what they call dreamers i guess those are the children of people that were born in the u.s but the parents are illegal uh here illegally there are 3.6 million dreamers uh, here in the U.S. as far as what they could tell. So they think that's a bigger number than what they thought. And keep in mind, those are not all kids. Those are yeah. people who came here a very long time ago and are totally grown now. Uh, the common misperception is that they're still children, which they're not. Yeah, so that's a big number. What are you going to do with all those people? I thought this was an interesting number as well. There are uh, people that come to the U.S. and more of the legal way via adoption. People adopt uh, children from other countries. Uh, according to, well, in the last year where they had the data for it, here's where most of the babies come from. Uh, most of them come from China. 2,231 babies adopted from China. Hmm. 360, that's the next uh, most, comes from the Democratic Republic of Congo. 156 from the Philippines, 39 from Pakistan, 17 from Mexico, and one from Canada. Hmm. So... Anyway, you know, I feel bad. I do feel bad for the people that come legally into the U.S. from Mexico. Uh, no, I don't feel bad for them, but I mean, it's a shame that other people are, are abusing the system and they've done it the right way because they get kind of, you could lump them in and think, well, everybody's going about it the wrong way. There are some people that are going about it the right way and they should be, uh, they should be most upset, I think, because uh, it, it diminishes their, sometimes maybe their opportunities because of all the illegal activity. Well, that's right. They should be more upset than anybody. I'm not sure if all of them are, but they should be because, you know, they had to pay the thousands of dollars. They had to uh, do it the right way and uproot their lives and and make sure that they went through the arduous process. And trust me, it is uh, it is long and boring. I've I've had to go through that with my wife, too. So um, it's good that some people are actually doing it that way. I wonder if maybe adoption might be like a loophole for some of these illegals if people here 
who are pro illegal immigration, why don't they just adopt some of those people? <laughs> wouldn't that wouldn't that be like a way of getting around it? Maybe. It's interesting how even here in the U.S., you know, there's been this controversy recently with some sports uh, people where they don't want to stand for the national anthem and so forth. My sister was telling me, and she's a, a originally American citizen, U.S. citizen, but then she got her Canadian citizenship as well, that when she went through the process uh, and you get your citizenship, you have to sing the Canadian national anthem hmm. as a group. They nice. don't make you do it as a solo. <laughs> That'd be a little awkward. <laughs> but I thought, well, that's great. You should do that. No, no matter what country you go into, if you if you want to become part of that country, let's sing the anthem. That's fine. Uh, and so I, it was good to see that they do that. And it, I think it's just good to remember that nations do those things. It's part of having a certain national identity. Mm-hmm. You're not doing it to spite other people. It's just, you know, uh, showing some pride in your own nation. So it's funny how uh, other nations do that, but then in the U.S. some are uh, bucking against the our own an- anthem. Yeah, that's right. Mr. Hil- Mr. Joel Hilliker wrote an excellent piece about that yesterday about just how history is a nation's memory. So if you think about it on an individual level, someone who gets older and loses his memory just is disoriented doesn't know what is going on around him in his life and it's the same thing nationally if we lose our history we don't have any sort of common bond uh to to make sure that the country is unified anymore uh that's that's when kneeling during the anthem becomes a possibility yeah so uh, uh, that'll be an ongoing situation as, as uh, well, they try to determine what to do with all the people in this nation that shouldn't be here, uh, aren't here legally. Studyfinds.org has this interesting study. I don't think this will surprise anybody, but uh, something to consider. They say this uh, study shows that stress could be making you sick, especially if you've got allergies. If you, if you have some aller- allergy symptoms, they say that um, people that are more stressed, they can have a 50% more uh, allergies, including asthma, things like that. They say, do you find you get sick more frequently when your nerves are wound up? Yes, I do. <laughs> A research team at Michigan State University found that different types of stress react to immune cells and can affect how those cells respond to allergens, potentially worsening a person's reaction and symptoms. A lot of allergies in Oklahoma. Lots of people get allergies here. And uh, there's a lot more to this write-up, but I just read you the good stuff. The rest of it's all about mice. <laughs> uh, so anyway, they've looked at that, and uh, I think that uh, certainly if you look at the Bible, it's very true. If you're stressed out, wound up, you, you're going to have some health problems. That's true, and and I just try to think of the times where I've been hit with like a surge of stress, and there are two ways of responding to that. It's either like you immediately just feel sick and you want to go lie down, or if it's a more... Um, enjoyable type of stress like if you're watching a sporting event you don't feel sick from the game being close at the end but if it's like a family problem or something like that that's when you start to feel sick right away right there's lots of bible passages you could look at to talk that talk about this in a way just one that i always think is interesting is in luke 12 and it's in the other gospel accounts as well uh where christ says that he's talking about sparrows and little birds and he says, you know, they they spe- they sell five sparrows uh, for two farthings, so not a lot. And he said, but God doesn't forget any of those. And uh, then he goes on to say, you know, he knows every hair on the head of every human. And he says, fear not, therefore, you are 
of more value than many sparrows. So if God knows everything that happens to a little bird, and you, there's a lot of little birds out there, <laughs> he's very much aware of what's happening to people, especially the people that are fearing him and serving him. But but he's very much aware, and so that's a great relief when stress starts to well up. And God's aware. He knows. And there's a lot of uh, passages like that, that that do show that we don't have to we don't have to uh, stress out. There are times to be concerned, but when it gets to be a debilitating sort of stress, then um, it's good to go back and look at God's promises. There are some really awesome examples from Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong's autobiography, too, where he was in dire need. He obviously had to endure poverty for decades before uh, starting to become more of a, a financial success, among other things. And God just, every time he prayed for it, God provided exactly what he needed. No more, no less in many cases, just to show how specific God can be uh, in answering our prayers. So just to know that there is a guiding hand in our lives and that we can always look to him uh, when we need him, it's very encouraging and comforting. And even just the, the fact that Bible prophecy shows us everything that plays out leading up to Christ's return and beyond that, it's not something where we have to wonder every day what our future might hold or you know, what's going to happen to us if North Korea, for example, decides to try to strike. Because we know North Korea is not as prophetically significant as some people might think it is. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's always good to, to uh, know that God is concerned and he does care. And I think that's why when there's problems in the physical family, uh, it, it harms Young people, in particular, their as they're growing up, their relationship with God or the way they think about Him as a father. Because if you maybe had a situation where you couldn't count on a, a parent, uh, it's easy to think, well, that they don't care, and that's uh, you know God doesn't care, and that's what you see. I think with with a lot of uh, situations in society today, even if even if say monetary needs are met and basic things like that, there is just the neglect factor. Uh, we have a story a little later about iPhones or, or smartphones, rather. I mean, it could be any phone, but smartphones and just the way that's kind of affecting people. And, uh, you know, we can all fall prey to that where we're, we're so caught up in something, we're not paying enough attention to our kids and so forth. And, and that's how the kids learn to relate to God. And it's it's very it's too easy to think, uh, you know, if you're in that situation to think, well, God doesn't know. He's not paying attention to me. But that's not what the Bible says. He does pay attention to very specific uh, details about our lives. Yeah, and that's uh, part of part of family is to point us to God. So it is important for those of us in those positions, especially as fathers, to make sure that we are setting as best of an example as possible. But even even for people who don't come from an ideal family environment, it, they can always know that uh, there is a spiritual father there looking after them. Um, don't don't look at a bad physical father and think that. God is any anything like that because he's perfect. He would never let us down. Right. Good to remember so we don't get too stressed out. Here's a write-up from Newsweek uh, in relation, you're talking about North Korea there, uh, this India test fires uh, Agni 5 or V, I'm not sure, ballistic nuclear missile that can hit China. So uh, they are all uh, rattling the nuclear saber, as it were. India successfully test-fired its nuclear-capable intercontinental ballistic missile uh, off the coast of the eastern Odisha state on Thursday morning. The test was the new weapon's final operational configuration, bringing it one step closer to being a deployable warhead in India's land-based ballistic missiles arsenal. With a range exceeding 3,016 miles, 
very specific. I'm going to move just outside of that range. The long-range ICBM can reach the northern parts of China. The launch on Thursday marked the fifth test of the 55-foot-long uh, NGV since its first launch in 2012. It, uh, it's the last test was held in December of last year. The uh, Indian News Channel uh, confirmed the launch and said the success has guaranteed India's spot in the super-exclusive club of countries with ICBMs. That's the club I don't know that you want to be in. Which nations have ICBMs? Russia, India, United States, China, France, Israel, North Korea, as far as we know. That's a rather exclusive club. I always wonder when they when they say that a, a nuke has the capability to hit a given, na- a given nation, do they say China because they would actually want to hit China, or like would they say some other random nation? Uh, I, I, I tend to think that like they don't like that nation if they say look we could actually hit china <laughs> that's that usually s- sounds like a threat to me you don't hear iran say we could hit zimbabwe they say we could probably reach the united states at some point yeah it's interesting it's gonna be interesting to see how all of those nations do come together of course there's a, a great book russian china prophecy talks about a lot of those powers and uh you know and how they'll they'll work together in they'll some have cases to mesh <clears throat> sometime and you have and, and you start looking at the individual nations and the populations and the power that they have, that's a dominant, dominant force. Forbes had this about Russia. Don't forget about Russia. It says, like China and some of these other nations, Russia uh, has warheads that can kill cities, city killers. ICBMs in the decades-year-old Russian program uh, geared to resist the United States are tested about six times per year as the country reaches later stage of generational upgrade of nuclear forces. So even we, we, everyone looks at North Korea, but Russia's testing all the time too. Um, for Russia, it is reducing the number of older Soviet-era ballistic missiles in its inventory to focus on a select number of new systems, including ICBMs. So they're uh, getting rid of some of the old ones and then upgrading their systems. So the arms race hasn't stopped. It's just being upgraded. Yeah, the, and Russia has been known for quite a while for having kind of an older stockpile of weapons, and even if in the Middle East, a lot of the a lot of the fighters over there have started to have older Russian weapons. They've become known for having the old Russian guns and things like that. But but Russia hasn't ever been too hesitant to try to spend money on its military. That's like probably their top priority, despite the fact that their their weapons cache has has aged i mean now you see them definitely investing in it when they get the chance yep so uh a lot to look at there with russia and of course there's a lot on the trumpet.com about russia india all these other nations and what they're up to uh, make sure you stop and check out the trumpet.com today the top story is trump wins press oppressor award he gives out awards to the media the media gives him awards aren't they getting along everyone's awarding everyone <laughs> Who is really to blame for suppression of truth, President Trump or the mainstream media? Check out that right up there at the uh, trumpet.com. Related to that, President Trump's war against the media doesn't compare to Obama's. He had a war against the media, too, but they didn't report on it. And also, fake news and the shifting media landscape. Those are write-ups there at the trumpet.com. People tend to forget, or I guess it wasn't reported as much, but President Obama would ban certain uh, media outlets as well if they didn't uh, report as he wanted. Well, that's that's where you can easily distinguish between the last two presidents, where President Trump might call out the media publicly. He might ridicule them. He might make a fake news awards um, that the media very unoriginally responds to with the <laughs> press oppressor award like press oppressor. <laughs> the next couple days. But 
um, President Obama was far worse than that. He actually tracked phone records of certain reporters. Like you said, he banned certain outlets from covering certain events. As far as I know, I haven't heard of President Trump really uh, kicking CNN out of any sort of place where they could have covered him. It was just he would call them fake news if they were there. Yeah, there was a uh, uh, Roger Ailes has a book um, where it talks about where President Obama met with him and the Fox News had people and kind of gave him a pretty good idea of what they would like the reports to be. And if and Fox didn't go along with it and therefore they were blacklisted for a while <clears throat> until actually other media sources came to their aid. And so, well, you can't you, you can't kick them out. So it's on some level, the media did band together there, but that wasn't reported very much. No, I, I mean, it is quite pathetic that a president would <laughs> go to a media outlet like that and it does it does make you wonder what president obama might have said to the other outlets who probably ended up going along with it because remember how flowery and positive their coverage of him almost always was and how anytime he held some sort of a uh, a press briefing himself they were basically just like giggling that he would even call on them. I mean, they were giddy like schoolgirls. Yeah, yeah, they were they were obsessed with him. So yeah, they probably did go along with whatever he told them to report about. It's a yeah, it's a it's a shifting media landscape as it says there. So check that out at thetrumpet.com. Also, the Trumpet Daily Radio Show this weekend. Make sure you listen for that with your host Stephen Flurry. <clears throat> covers a little bit of the fake media awards. Also uh, talks about human reproduction being a type of spiritual reproduction. Pretty in-depth subject there that uh, you don't hear about anywhere else besides uh, uh, the trumpet and uh, also there on the Trumpet Daily Radio Show. New Kia David this weekend as well. The hidden superpower. Your Bible prophesies of a strong man soon to take charge of Europe who will rise to power seemingly overnight and shock the world. A great program. Uh, lots of people calling in, getting the literature for that, So, uh, which is all free. So you can listen to the audio here on KPCG and watch the video at thetrumpet.com or, of course, on television. You can check your local listings for that. Related to that, here's a write-up from Reuters. It says, uh, slowly Germany begins to ponder life after Merkel. Been, she'd been there a long time. So for, for many people, especially younger people, they don't really know too much about pre-Merkel <clears throat> says she has not faced a credible challenge to her rule as German chancellor for more than 12 years. Now members of Angela Merkel's conservatives are starting to look ahead to potential alternatives to lead their party and country. So they're, they know they've got to get somebody else eventually, one way or the other, and they're starting to look around a little more. Yeah, and it is uh, hard to even hear them called conservatives. I don't know what that means anymore if rampant migration into their country is part of that but she has obviously been shrewd financially because uh germany does hold a lot of other nations hostage with their debt um i guess you can see why why they'd be called conservatives in that case but yeah she she definitely seems to be on her last legs but of course probably people have been saying that for a while uh she she just probably needs someone else to replace her at this point though yeah she's i mean she's just getting older besides just uh, there being some you know issues coming up in the country this reuters piece says merkel's immediate fate depends on the uh spd which votes on sunday on whether their leaders should pursue coalition negotiations with her christian democrats after striking a preliminary deal last week lots of wheeling and dealing there in German politics. A no vote could force fresh elections as well as renewed debate on the issue of succession. 
Interviews by Reuters with more than a dozen party lawmakers indicate that the coalition talks have brought pressure from Merkel's party for new faces to be included in the next cabinet and prompted early conversations on a succession plan. They said, we need to talk about how the union can renew itself. That's according to Paul Zymiak, chairs the youth wing of the union of Merkel's uh, CDU. Uh, Merkel herself decided to seek a fourth term only after long reflection and said in November 2016 she was seeking to stay on if her health allowed. In 1998, she was quoted as saying, I don't want to be a half-dead wreck when I leave politics. (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) On the other hand, she has not ruled out running for a fifth term. The departure of Merkel, whose time in office has overlapped with four French presidents and four British prime ministers, risks creating a leadership vacuum in the European Union at a critical and uncertain time to smooth the transition. Many in the CDU favor the idea of a gradual transition that could involve handing the party chairmanship over first. So there's a lot of ideas out there about what they may do. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, fascinating aspects to German and just European politics in general that uh, someone like her is able to be around that long and and see other administrations around her just come and go repeatedly. Um, There should probably be uh, some sort of a term limit just because uh, it seems like after a certain amount of time, it doesn't matter what people's politics are in a nation. They get sick of seeing the same leader for that long. That's what's happening in Germany right now. Yeah, I mean, even in the world of uh, sports, sometimes, you know, coach can be really good, but eventually, you know, players, they want somebody else. You need a new voice after a while for people to listen to. I mean, I don't know why that is necessarily, but it does seem to be the case in pretty much any nation, any organization. This Reuters piece finishes by saying others want Merkel to go sooner. We want you to get out of here even sooner. <laughs> However, uh, frustrated, they were frustrated with her handling of the refugee crisis which hurt the party in September 24th's national election. Uh, many conservatives favor an orderly transition. This, they're big on this in Germany. They don't like chaos, obviously. They like it to be orderly. Uh, and uh, they say uh, self, uh, this uh, one individual says, I think a sensible succession arrangement must be found within the union, but not at, this, not at the moment given all the chancellor has achieved and not in the middle of a legislative period. So... Some of them don't, they don't want the transition to happen right now, but maybe soon. Some say they want it to be sooner. So a lot of volatility over there and uh, lots of uh, good things to look at on thetrumpet.com about that. They have their weekly feature this week in Germany. And I think for a lot of us that aren't as familiar with German politics, it's, it's sometimes hard to keep uh, which party is doing what, keep it all straight and coalitions and on and on. But anyway, there's a lot of good information there at thetrumpet.com to uh, keep you up to speed as to uh, what's happening over in Germany. So worth taking a look. Yeah, it can be confusing sometimes because certain uh, certain parties in Europe that are called Democrats are actually conservatives over there, which is completely the opposite to what it is here. Uh, there are some really great write-ups, though, that perfectly summarize what's happening in Germany, what's happening in France or England. Uh, for those of us who might not understand it as well they usually do a pretty good job of trying to relate it to american politics to try to make it a little bit more familiar to us yep you can you can see that uh no matter how they they go about things uh, changes in the air one way or the other when how those things are you know not i suppose clear at this point but you can tell some changes coming and the trend is pretty obvious toward strongmen rulers in any any nation you look pretty much i mean here 
Europe, Asia, it's it's just strong men are everywhere. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's a one of the trumpets recently talked about that. Uh, King me and the rise <laughs> of the strong man, so forth. Uh, there, here's a, the, the trumpet uh, had some really uh, has some really good columns about social media and how that's changing uh, people's lives, in particular young people that are growing up with uh, with it. And this is a write up from a recent Time magazine about uh, in their health section. We need to talk about kids and smartphones. And this is based on the fact that the teen depression has surged fueling concern about mobile devices. And uh, they give this, uh, oh, this history of this one young lady. She was 17, I guess. She got pretty depressed to the point of uh, doing some harmful things to herself. And uh, but by all accounts, I mean, she was fairly popular and, and things seemed to be going well. But uh, they, I guess they got down to the root cause of her issues. And it, a lot of it had to do with just the time she was spending on smartphones and body image sort of things, always checking out everybody's Instagram and following these people. And and her parents were pretty oblivious to it. And then after things blew up, her mom said, oh, you know, I, I never thought about just taking the smartphone out of her room because she had a smartphone in her room. And so she had she had kind of this, this uh, combination of things happening. She was looking at all these people on Instagram, comparing herself to them. She wasn't sleeping enough because she was up on the phone late at night. And and uh, so you're exhausted. There's some negative thinking going on. And it, it ended up being a big problem for her. And she had some serious depression because of it. And they think a lot of it goes back to having that smartphone without any controls. This does hit the headlines quite a lot now, just how our young people especially are just feeling enslaved by these gadgets and by the social media that you can access on these gadgets. That's right. I mean, if, if it is in the room, um, it's hard to put it away at, at least early enough in the evening to where it's not lighting up in your eyes to where it's harder to go to sleep. And of course, if you're looking at it to compare your life to the lives of others, then you have all these anxious thoughts that are keeping you awake too. It's it's almost like these young people are not necessarily building their friendships and their relationships in person anymore. It's just... Uh, through these different uh, social media pages. Yeah, the uh, Francis Jensen, the chair of neurology at the University of Pennsylvania's uh, Permian School of Medicine, said what this generation, this, this younger generation, is going through right now with technology is a giant experiment. They don't know what's going to happen. And now the, the signs are it's bad and things are getting, and it's not good. And even some of the, the founders or or early developers of some of the technology have come out and said, I don't use it, you know, or I don't let my kids use it, whether it be the actual device or the social media platforms the device accesses. It's a giant experiment. They don't even know what's going to happen. And uh, But the early fruits of it are that it's not good. You know, what would it be if the kids you know, turned to adults in 20, 30 years down the road? Who knows what would change between now and then? Uh, you know, the experiment's not going very well. And there's a lot of blame to go around uh, for a problem like this. I mean, you can't necessarily blame the company for releasing new forms of technology that do have potential good uses. Uh, People probably could say that you might want to test this more before you release them. But there has to be an element of personal responsibility as well. Uh, And for young people, that falls more on the parents until the young people are old enough to make those decisions themselves. Uh, you can't expect the average 16-year-old 
to put the phone away to limit himself or herself to 30 minutes a day watching videos or surfing the internet those limits are not going to be put in place unless an authority figure enforces that yep there's there's no way a young person would have that enough character and unless they were really exceptional i guess uh john twange a professor of psychology at san diego state university said the more we learn about kids and smartphones the more we're going to see that limiting their exposure is a good idea the less they have it the better and then, of course, the kids that have the smartphones right now and are listening are like, oh, come on. <laughs> but, hey, that's the, that's the numbers. 60%, that's the percentage rise in teenage depression in the U.S. between 2010 and 2016. That's massive. Uh, average age at which a child now receives his or her first smartphone, 10 years of age. You're ready. At 10, you're ready to, to navigate the Internet, right? <laughs> Make some decisions about what to what to look at there. Uh, prevalence of suicide-related thoughts or actions among kids who use electronic devices five or more hours a day, 48%. So pretty serious uh, difficulties there with some of those phones. They have five tips to get teens to put down their smartphones. I think some of them are a little weird, but some are pretty good. Uh, number one, they say keep devices out of kids' bedrooms. Good idea. Keep them out of there. Yeah, you can't You can't uh, give all these exclusive privacy rights to young people they have to they have to be able to use those devices more out in the open and and not uh in their own bedrooms or in secluded areas because there are a lot of terrible things that you could access on a smartphone uh even just leaving aside the fact that you could use it for 24 hours a day if you wanted to yeah what they're accessing that's a huge issue and then the sleep deprivation is an issue uh, even even among adults uh, that use their uh, devices before bed, they have a lot more insomnia. <laughs> they say uh, taking away a child's phone at bedtime can be a battle, but it's worth the fight. Well, it doesn't ha- doesn't have to be. You can just say, "Give that to me, and take it." <laughs> and what what can they really <laughs> do, do about it? I mean, yeah. they if they start yelling and screaming, it gets the punishment gets worse. I mean, you just keep ratcheting up the punishment until they realize maybe it's not such a good idea to throw a tantrum anymore. Yeah, just but just having those devices in, where they can access them and you don't know what they're looking at, that's a bad idea. Mm. Uh, they talk about setting online firewalls and data cutoffs. Sometimes you can do some of those things if you're a little bit savvy. But, you know, the thing is the kids are always a little savvier. <laughs> they should figure out a way around it, but who knows. They have a few other ideas uh, that I won't get into because I think they're kind of silly. But, um, but this is a good point. They say you have to model healthy device behaviors. In other words, okay, you're the parent. You tell your kids to use it wisely if they have it. Do we as parents use them wisely? Or are we constantly on our phones? Because if we are, they're going to do the same thing. That's a really great point. Just to consider our examples, um, how often do we maybe have someone talking to us and we are really delayed in our response because we happen to be looking down at our phones it happens quite a lot probably and so if that's how we interact with our children especially uh, they're just going to think of us as the ultimate hypocrites we'll lose all credibility and they'll find any way they can to try to get around our rules don't be a phone phony (laughs) love it (laughs) (laughs) take that one to the bank (laughs) finally they say and you'll like this one grant consider the old school flip phones because I, I've heard this before, if if a parent were to say to their child, uh, I don't think it's a good idea that you have a smartphone. They say, well, how, how, how am I going to get a hold of you? How am I going to, how are we going to get a hold of each other? 
flip phone. Yeah, those can call and text, text believe it or not. They, they <laughs> actually still work for communication. Uh, and that's really what a phone was designed to do, was to communicate in those ways, not through social media and all these other a- avenues that we have now. Those are luxuries. Those are accessories. They're not necessities in any way. And uh, I know people have a hard time believing this, but there was a time m- millennia ago <laughs> when we didn't have smartphones and uh, we all figured out how to live. We got rides. We went places. <laughs> Things worked out okay. So maybe it's, maybe it's not as essential as we think, although it is convenient. So. Well, even phones started out without uh, even the possibility to text. They literally only could call. So mm-hmm. to think that we need to have 36 different ways of communicating on one phone is probably a little much. Right. So anyway, you just have to be careful with it. We're not obviously advocating that no one has a smartphone or anything like that. But uh, but sometimes, and I have found in my personal experience that it's harder to control something, say if I give it to my kids, than to just say, you know what, it's better off just not to have it. You know, it's like there's there's where we've had periods where I might have had a particular game or something on one of my devices and say, OK, well, I'll let you play this game. This is fine. But boy, oh, boy, every 10 minutes, can't play the game, can't play the game. <laughs> it's a lot easier just to get rid of the game. So sometimes that that helps. But anyway, people have to make their choices there. I uh, want to talk about for the rest of the show about uh, growing up and uh, when young people are growing up and thinking about what they want to do with life. What's a good way to go about that? What are some things young men in particular need to learn? Men are coming up, young boys growing into manhood. Uh, they're growing up in a very volatile time, very confusing time, really, because what society says a man should be, or a woman for that matter, is very convoluted now, very, very different. Uh, Forbes has a list of what people want to be, boys versus girls, when they're younger. Top five pr- professions that boys and girls want to be when they grow up. The girls, uh, they want to be doctors. Number one. Number two, teachers. Number three, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) The don't know is it doesn't pay a lot. How much does it pay? I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Scientists. And then finally, a chef or a baker. Boys overwhelmingly want to be pro athletes, followed by don't know, (laughs) (laughs) followed by firefighter, followed by engineer, followed by astronaut. So I don't know. Maybe the girls are a little more practical in some of that thinking there. (laughs) The pro athlete's probably not going to work out. Here's a list also of the age of the child, what they want to be at certain ages. At one to two years old, kids don't know. Or they want to be a doctor, and some want to be an animal. (laughs) What do you want to be? I'd like to be a horse. Society says that's fine now. (laughs) I mean, it's not really too surprising that kids are hoping for that. Hoping for it, yeah. (laughs) Two to three years of age, they want to be doctor, parent, or firefighter. Three to four years of age, the boys want to be superheroes. Girls want to be doctors or a parent. Uh, four to five years old, veterinarian, scientist, doctor, so on and so forth. And then once she gets to be six years old and up, the boys just want to be athletes. Until, for some reason, at eight to nine years, they decide they want to be video game designers. Mm. So, I mean, you know, th- there are people that do that and they make pretty good money doing it. But you do have to, you do have to question that career path if that's worthwhile. So you can see that there's a... Uh, there's a, a definite pull to the entertainment uh, and that type of thing. But what should young men be trying to do? This is a write-up from PCOG.org. Young men aim high. Learn to aim high in setting and achieving the right goals. Now, saying you want to be a pro athlete, that's a pretty high goal. Probably not realistic, but but still. Uh, but you can see by some of the other ones on the list, 
they uh the don't knows that's not aiming very high that's the second that's the second thing what do you want to be i don't know and and which is okay i mean it's not like you've got to pigeonhole yourself at a young age into something but you know you should have some interests and be aiming at something right and even with that top one uh whenever you want to aim high you also have to consider the potential drawbacks and there are many to being a pro athlete i mean that the lifestyle is far less than ideal uh, so so even even there if you want to aim extremely high you have to do it in wisdom and avoid the ones that could could end up uh, tearing down character yeah this this write-up says that uh it says think about what motives men in our world what motivates men in our world today and what they're aiming at think about the kids that uh you might go to public school with if you yourself are in that age bracket what sorts of things do they want in life? Many young men chase after video games, internet, pornography, marijuana, partying, sex, money. You know what all those things have in common? Selfish. They're all self-centered. They have a selfish aim. It says if a man's main goal is to satisfy the self, then he is not going to accomplish anything worthwhile. He will have a a wasted life. That is what is happening to so many men in our world today. They are wasting their lives by chasing selfish pursuits. And society really pushes men in that direction because they say, well, why would I want to get married? Because I'll get divorced and I'll lose my stuff. Uh, why will, you know, and they've seen it happen generationally. Why would I want to reach out and try to help somebody else or have a family because I'm just going to get hurt and they're going to take what I have. So I'm going to worry. I'm going to look out for number one. There is a book, a great book at thetrumpet.com called Biblical Manhood that brings that out really well too. Just how... Uh, society is doing everything possible to advance girls and women at the expense of boys and men. Sadly, it has become a really anti-man age where girls and women have proven really capable of being independent. But when you do that and you, and you encourage them to get out into the workforce and things like that, well, then the man no longer has that innate desire to provide for and protect women if they if they seem like they're just fine on their own well then men will proceed on their own but that's not usually the way that you want men to have to live because they they don't make the best choices in that situation like you said it is all selfish it is all with a totally inward focus and those those types of pursuits are really 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 sinful too and it's it's all really gets back to the destruction of the family because a few generations back, a young fellow growing up, probably his goal in life was to, you know, have a family, be like his dad, be like his grandpa, have a family, have a wife, have children. And so a lot of a lot of uh, the things that a young man would aim at were centered on that. I need to have a job and a career because I need to, to provide for my family. I want to be, uh, you know, marriage material, so I should try to better myself in some way. And when you when you take away that natural uh, pull for a family or desire for a family, then yeah, the goals become very selfish, and that's pointed out in this article uh, at the PCOG.org. Young men aim high, where it says something that has to be at the center of young men's lives, uh, aside from God, of course, or in addition to God's obviously at the main center as it brings out, but is that physical family? There has to be family at the center, and that's one of the points the article brings out. Put family at the center of your goals, your ambitions, what you're thinking about. It changes the motivations from a selfish one to a family-focused one. And that has proven true even among those, um, I, 
I've read a book about uh, just some of the most successful athletes or people in a really demanding type of profession. Uh, they they got they go so extreme in their careers that even in their personal lives they can tend to get pretty extreme in their pursuits as well. Uh, but even those who are not the best family men end up returning to the stability of family. Family is always like a a bedrock for all of us, uh, even for those who don't do it right. Family is safe. It's it's home. It's comfortable. It is uh, just something that every every man deep down wants a family. It's just a matter of how well we raise and nurture it and and make sure it's a success. But but especially if we start out the right way, wanting to have a family and wanting to improve our lives so that we do it right with family, uh, it doesn't. You can't really think of a blessing better than that. Yeah, and and. It'd be easy for a younger person, young man, to think, well, that's in the future. I don't need to worry about it right now. But as this article brings out, now's the time to develop the traits needed for a family. You can't wait until you're of age and then say, well, I bet I didn't do anything with life. Well, you're not ready. You're just not prepared. And so now's the time to really work on some of these things. Here are four specific family-oriented goals to aim high in. Uh, Firstly, the point brought out is to aim for manly character. Um, it says you are preparing to fulfill your role as a leader of the family and you want your wife and children to be able to look to you as the head of the family. Uh, is that taboo today? Mm. Uh, in fact, if you study into this subject in the Bible, it says you will find that the role you are aiming to fulfill is a mighty big one. Uh, to his wife, a man is a type of Jesus Christ, which is very biblical. And to his children, he is a type of God, the father. That's not an easy goal. And so, uh, having proper character is essential. If you look at things that destroy families, uh, it can come from various directions. But if it comes from, let's say, the father or the husband, the character breakdown usually gets into something that, that hurts him and hurts the family, and it's a character issue, a lack of character. So that's why it is so important to have uh, proper manly character. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've heard of situations recently where uh, the man hasn't, uh, hasn't been faithful or he's fallen into certain vices, and... There's just so so much indescribable pain in a situation like that where it's it just clearly the man could have controlled the entire home environment and how his wife and children perceived him and but but he just couldn't control his own personal life and lost the respect of his family and it just all got flipped on its head from there. It is it's very clear that the man does set the tone and he does have to set the standard that everyone else in the family strives for. So just like this article says to aim high, it's the same with a man in the, in the family. You have to set the bar really high so that not only you are striving really hard to reach that, but the whole rest of the family is too. Yeah. And, uh, like anything, I mean, character isn't a, a overnight sensation. You can't just, uh, Oh, I'm going to have it all of a sudden. It takes effort. It takes years to build, and that's why it's good to start when you're young and uh, and just avoid just avoid even some of the pitfalls that you're going to have to try to dig out of later. Don't get into them in the first place. The second goal here is aiming high for, uh, for a young man as he thinks about a family in the future is to aim for a robust physical health. So would you like to uh, marry a woman who is stronger than you? <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know. That depends, I guess. Healthier or fitter than you? If not, then it would be a good idea to build your strength, health, and fitness. Of course, both people should be fit, obviously. But uh, the, the point is pretty obvious. You don't want, you know, if, if a young lady is really fit, she's not going to want probably the one that's uh, <laughs> not not in that same boat. So good health, good fitness, very important for a lot of reasons. And that does get back to the man being the head of the household. If he's going to be the leader uh, why would a woman ever want to look to someone who is scrawny and weak and 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 sickly when she probably is strong and smart and capable on her own? You don't. A woman never wants to have to reach down for a husband. She wants to wants to be able to reach up and try to uh, follow that example in good health. Yeah, and as as a family, as you grow older together, you um, you, you have habits and trends and. Uh you know, it's it, that's why it's good to be equally matched to where you both like the same sort of things. You both like to get out and do things or have those similar interests because uh, uh, it's like anything. You have to keep working at health or else it, it goes away. And also, it's not just the physical strength, also mental and emotional strength. Uh, you have to build habits as a young man now that will make you the, the man you want to become. Being physical, f- physically fit is part of that, but mentally active, alert, uh you know, reading, doing those types of things. I mean, and you have to really work today because if you look at the national trends, uh, the girls are doing better in school than the boys are. And so that's hard for them when they come of marrying age. There's been lots of write-ups and plenty of uh, periodicals and so forth that talk about women getting to a certain age and saying, well, I'd like to get married, but where where are the eligible guys? Because they they haven't prepared themselves mentally. They haven't prepared themselves in in a whole variety of ways. You know, if, if you have a very studious young lady... I don't think she wants to marry the the video game hero. <laughs> that's two different worlds there. Yeah, that's all the motivation uh, that you need right there all by itself is just the fact that a woman doesn't want to marry a doofus. So if you want to get married and stay married and stay happily married, you have to be continually on this path of self-improvement, constantly trying to be... Uh, more and more of a rock that she can rely on or otherwise why did she get married to you i mean it doesn't there's no reason for uh you to enter into that partnership unless you have a lot to offer to someone to someone who also might have a lot to offer to you yeah it's funny how it seems like things have changed at least in some ways it wasn't too long ago where uh you know as a young fellow you'd want to You'd want to be excelling in certain things, and, and part of the reason was you wanted to impress the young ladies. <laughs> yeah, it can go too far, of course, but I mean, there there is a natural inclination there, and uh, there's been some cases where it's it seems like maybe that's not there the same way anymore. Like they, some young fellows just don't seem to care as much about that, and that I don't understand that uh, lack of interest. Yeah, we I think we were created to be sort of the hunter, if you could if you could put it that way. Like you are supposed to as a man, uh, pursue the relationship for the most part. And, uh, the thing about that is if you're not equipped, if you don't have things that can make a woman look up to you in any way, uh, there's not going to be any success there. But, but like you said, some, it, it does seem like it's more, more and more common that there isn't even that desire there in the first place. That desire to get married and have a family is what spurs men to, improve their own lives so much yeah it's, it's a great motivator but it's it's kind of lacking and that's why this article points out if you're a young man or young woman but it, this is talking about young men in particular you have to be different than what the trends in society are another thing to aim for is an excellent education 
And it points out that thing that we just mentioned, that fact that in schools today, girls are outperforming the boys in almost every level. Higher grade point averages, uh, everything, everywhere you look. And these facts mean that in more and more cases, women who marry will have husbands with less drive and poor education than they have, and it will be much harder for them to look to those men as their leaders in the home. It will be much easier for them to take charge of the families because they're the ones that have the better education. They have a, they're have they more equipped to handle things and to be the leaders, and, and the men have fallen down on their responsibility there. So uh, now is the time if you're a younger person, and you can do this at any time, of course, but especially when you're young, is really, really go after that education, a good, solid education. What, what destroys that education is uh, time being taken away. With There's so many distractions that we talked about, the smartphones and other things. Even if, let's say, you're on the device and, and not going to any place that's wrong or something like that, it's still it's a time. It's a time taker. And uh, it's time you can't get back. And so being educated in the latest uh, uh, news from the pop culture world is not <laughs> as <laughs> – it seems relevant now, but it doesn't as you get older. Uh, but but when a person is young, that's the time to really go after that education. And because the, the young men are not performing well, if as a young man a person steps out and does perform well, boy, they're going to be a standout. Yeah, that education is extremely important because a few things are – less attractive than someone who is barely literate or can barely put a coherent sentence together, especially when the man is supposed to lead, he has to really, uh, he has to be there mentally and, and, and ready to, uh, form his beliefs based on his education. I mean, that's, that's how you decide what your worldview is, what your moral compass is. It's based on the things you read, the things that you study. Uh, if you don't, put any time into that it's like you're just kind of lost and floating at sea how can a woman follow a man who doesn't even know what direction he's going it points out some sad statistics here that uh about two in ten men are living with their parents while they're in their 30s uh they're just not prepared for anything it's it's a real shame for the ladies because they'd like to get married in most cases and what are you going to do, go move in with your parents? I mean, it's just not a good situation. So now's the time to get after that education. And the last point to aim high for as a young man is uh, a challenging and lucrative career because, uh, you know, there's just a fact of life you're going to need some money. <laughs> Things cost. And as you get a wife and then uh, maybe a child or two, that uh, that run to the coffee shop now is times four <laughs> or five or six or where, whatever you're doing. So you have to have a challenging career and one that uh, can bring, bring in enough money to support a family. Studies have shown that men mostly uh, decide or define who they are based on what they do, like what their profession is. And so it is natural for men to take a lot of pride in their job and to try to make sure that they produce as much as possible. Uh, women define themselves more by their relationships. That's just a different dynamic, a different way of thinking. Uh, but we have to be striving upward, always always looking to take on more responsibility, not necessarily floating between careers depending on who's going to pay us more, but just becoming someone who's really dependable within the company that you're at. If you find the right situation, keep building and keep on uh, climbing the ladder as much as you can without necessarily stepping on other people. Yeah, do it the right way. And uh, it's funny. It reminds me of when I was working at a different station years ago, and there was this one particular song that was popular at the time, uh, and the girl, the ladies really liked it. 
uh, and it's this this band, and they were singing, "If when we're hungry, love will keep us alive." <laughs> no, it won't. <laughs> very true. Probably good. Now I get the, I get the point that in tough times, you know, love does keep people together. I get that, but. Um, you're gonna need somebody to buy dinner, so <laughs> gonna need a good job. That's and that's why those things have to come in the right order. A man has to be self-sufficient and and established in his career before getting married, because if you can't support yourself in the first place, it's very unlikely you'll be able to support one other person or multiple other people. Yeah, that was the Eagles. That was the band, by the way. In case everyone's <laughs> curious about that, uh, <laughs> the write-up is "Young Men Aim High," and it's at pcog.org. Lots of great points there to look at. Uh, more than we could get to today, but uh, but great information. That's all the time we have for today on uh, Trumpet Radio Live on this weekend edition. Make sure you listen for the Key of David program, Trumpet Daily Radio Show, and also the Trumpet Hour Weekend Review coming up this weekend for Grant Turgeon and myself, Dwight Falk. Have a great rest of your weekend. We'll talk to you Monday. Listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.